Well, good morning to you all. Day after Christmas. I'm tempted to say something like those who are really faithful would be here on the day after Christmas, but I would never say something like that in public. So instead, I want to talk for just a moment about, yeah, it's that time of the year again. Some of you are already working on your list. You know, the resolutions list. New Year's resolutions. Some of the more traditional ones, if you uh, go online and just, I mean, there's just a jillion uh, places that you can find information on resolutions. There are the more traditional ones, getting into shape, getting more organized, giving up certain things like desserts and chocolate, although I'd never understand that at all. Uh, keeping a check on expenses, paying down debt, spend more time with family. There were some less traditional ones that I thought were uh, pretty interesting. Uh, one person said, I will no longer waste my time reliving the past. Instead, I will spend it worrying about the future. <clears throat> Another one said, I will not bore my boss with the same excuse for taking leaves. I will think of some new excuses. I will do less laundry and use more deodorant. I will avoid taking a bath whenever possible, thus conserving water. I will give up chocolates totally, 100%, completely, honestly. I will try to figure out why I really need nine email addresses. And I will work with neglected children, my own. I will stop sending email and instant messages while on the phone with the same person. And the last one is I will spend less than one hour a day on the Internet. This, of course, will be hard to do and hard to estimate since I'm not a clock watcher. So all kinds of possibilities for the new year. Then, of course, there are always the uh, the more spiritual resolutions that we make, uh, more Bible reading, uh, more prayer, uh, more time in church, more witnessing. And for that, we have just a short DVD clip this morning uh, that uh, will encourage you in that. There are many different types of New Year's resolutions. Some are resolutions to do more of the things we should do, and some are resolutions to do less of the things we shouldn't do. But as Christians, it is important that we make spiritual resolutions. We need to make resolutions like getting closer to God, growing in your faith, and using your spiritual gifts. The reason these resolutions are important is that they are vague. So even if you don't try that hard, people won't be able to tell, and you'll look like a great Christian. The trick is to not make any goals that people can hold you accountable for, like helping your neighbors or tithing more, and sticking to tried-and-true, vague spiritual cliches that will impress your church friends. That's a resolution we can all agree on. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. So there you go. That is the answer. Yes, we can all go home now. Let's be honest. Resolutions are a pain. And uh, I think for one of the reasons they're, they're a pain is that we are not very disciplined people. And uh, we uh, get all fired up about making changes in our lives, but it doesn't seem like it's long before that, uh, that enthusiasm has waned and we are back to where we started once again. And, you know, here's the thing that really bothers me about resolutions. I know this has come as a surprise to you. I don't make resolutions because I am a weak individual. But the thing that really bothers me about resolutions is that, is that they, they, t- 
turn the focus of our energies, at least for the brief period of time that we zero in on them, they focus our energies upon self. Even the best of resolutions, like reading my Bible more, praying more, witnessing more, uh, it's, it's all stuff that, that I have to do more of, that I have to do better. And frankly, I just, I just don't think we need any encouragement to think about ourselves more than we already do. Uh, somehow we need to get to a place where, okay, I need to get to a place. If the shoe fits, you can put it on. A place where I think about God more and me less. There it, uh, I would love to live in 2011 thinking more about God than I do about Guy. Can you relate to this at all? All right. We are, we're in a good place. I don't think we have any idea of, of how different our lives would be if we were more God-focused, more God-aware. Some of you have read uh, Francis Chan in uh, his book titled Crazy Love. He expresses a similar sentiment when he says this. He says, have you ever wondered if we're missing something? It's crazy if you think about it. The God of the universe, the creator of nitrogen and pine needles, galaxies and E minor, He loves us with a radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And what is our response? We go to church, we sing songs, and we try not to cuss. That is our response. He's right. Too often we're missing something because our focus, my focus, is on the wrong thing. We're zeroed in on us and our lives and our agenda and our self-improvement, and our plans. And of course, we say God is important. Is He? Are you aware that we have officially entered into the season of Christmas on the church calendar? Now, a lot of folks think that Christmas has ended. But that is only true of Christmas Day. The Christmas season has just begun. The church for centuries has marked the Christmas season as the 12 days that begin after Christmas. Have you ever wondered where that song came from, the 12 days of Christmas? And those strange gifts, they come after Christmas Day on the 12 days of the Christmas season. That's why so much of our conversation in the past weeks here at Applewood, as we lead up to Christmas Day, we talk about the Advent season. For example, we focus on the four Sundays of Advent, not the four Sundays of Christmas or of the Christmas season. That's because technically the Christmas season follows Christmas Day. So, today is the first of a 12-day Christmas season, ending on January 6th, which is Epiphany. Some cultures, it's known as the Three Kings Day. And that's because Epiphany, coming from the Greek word, which means manifestation or appearance, commemorates the manifestation of Jesus as Savior to the Magi, who came looking for him. Now, 
some of you are wondering what in the earth, what on earth does this have to do with with the New Year's resolutions that, that we started with and that I'm scourging, right? Well, I had this idea that was was spawned as I was thinking about the 12 day uh, season of Christmas. I know it's always a little scary when I get ideas, but it's it's pretty simple. And uh, I think it's a, it's a better substitute for writing resolutions in these days to come. I, I think the re- results could be uh, just a whole lot better. At least I'm, I'm confident that they will be in my life. In Matthew's Christmas story, do you remember, there was a reference to Isaiah's prophecy, speaking hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, that Jesus would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God with us. The mystery of God in the flesh. In Jesus, God came to earth, we've said, in, in a way that he never came before. Up close and, and personal. And, and as Chad alluded to in his welcome this morning, fragile, vulnerable. But, but what about now? I mean, we, we are theologically astute enough to understand that, that, that Jesus ascended back into glory. What about now? What does, what does God with us mean now that Jesus is gone? What difference does it make in our thinking on a daily basis? Or perhaps a better way of saying it would be, how can I think about God on a daily basis that will continue to bring the truth of God with us to life, to, to my life, to the lives of those around us. Because we know that, that even though Jesus is no longer on the earth in human form, God is still with us, right? So I think, I guess what I'm driving at is how do we think about the truth in a way that is more about God than us. Rather than God with us, which elevates our importance, I want to get to a place where it's God with us. Elevating the significance and the importance of who God is and shrinking our importance. Shrinking my importance. Because truth be told, we live so much of our lives as if we are the center of life. You know, I would tell you that I don't want life to be about me. I, I know that it's not about me, but, but the reality is I live so often in the way that I think, in the way that I speak, in the way that I act, as if life is about me. Newsflash, it's not! You know, simply crack open the pages of Scripture, start at the beginning, and get a clear picture again of what life is all about. Who life is all about. And, and, and that's, that's what we've been celebrating in the Advent season and Christmas Day and now as we push ahead into this Christmas season. So, What if we took these 12 days 
of Christmas, which technically began today, and we were more intentional or, or, or purposeful every single day of those 12 days in our thinking about God with that goal of making Him a whole lot bigger and more important and us a whole lot smaller and less important. I'm thinking that's a worthy goal. I'm, I'm hoping that maybe you'll join me in this. 12 days of the Christmas season, thinking more intentionally about God with us, which means we're going to think more intentionally about God and less about us. Big God. Little us. Okay? Now, Acts 17, very non-Christmas text. You probably remember the story. There are some truth statements expressed about God by the Apostle Paul in this text for us. Paul, you might recall, was on one of his missionary journeys. And he was preaching about Jesus, as he always did, in the town of Thessalonica. He was in Greece. And it stirred up so much controversy that there were those who were out for his life. And so, so Paul was, was escorted under the, under the cover of, of night by friends to the next town down the road, Berea, where they thought he would be safe. The problem is, is, is those who were out to get him in Thessalonica found that he had gone to Berea, and, and so they came to Berea. And Paul had to be escorted again. This time he was taken to Athens. And, and in Acts 17 is this amazing story of Paul just walking around the city and, and observing what we would know to be the Pantheon, where there were, just, there were images of all the different Greek gods. And Paul is just looking at those things and, and, uh, and, and talking with people and engaging them in conversation. And it comes to a point where, where he has the ear of enough people that he speaks to them about one of the altars that he found that had an inscription on it that said to the unknown God. And he uses that as an opportunity to engage some of the Athenians in conversation about his God, who, by the way, just happens to be our God. Same God. And so... What I want us to do this morning, a little bit different than, than what we do most Sundays, is I want, us to, uh, I want us to read this together. That's not different. We'll stand and we'll read our text together. And then I want us to consider, there are a number of statements that he makes, probably six or seven in this text. I want us to consider just three of them this morning with the time that we have. And then to have a little bit of discussion about those three statements, which means I'll ask you, to have three fairly quick neighbor interactions this morning. So, you know, you're prepared. We're actually going to do it three times. I hope that doesn't rattle your day too much this morning. And uh, of all the things, this is what's important, of all the things that Paul could have said about God, these are the things that he did say. As Paul was led by the Spirit of God in his missionary journeys and in his contacts and in his conversations, these are the statements that Paul made 
under inspiration and leadership of God's spirit to the Athenian believers, people who didn't believe in his God. And I'm struck with the idea that as we live in these these 12 days of the Christmas season, we continue to celebrate God with us. How does this inform our thinking about who God is? Some fairly simple statements as we read them. There'll be no surprises here, but I think profoundly powerful if we're willing to to think about them a little bit more than just in passing. And uh, that's what I hope we can do in these 12 days of Christmas, is to be intentional about going back to this text and reading through these statements again that Paul says, this is who the unknown God is. I want you to know who the unknown God is that we might be intentional about reading down through those statements again, taking a little bit of time each day to, uh, to be purposeful in that, to read and to reflect and to think, to pray, to ask God to reveal more of the truth of who he is that is, that is packed in these, these statements. We'll just look at a few of them together. So let's, uh, let's stand together and read these verses, probably familiar to many of us. Paul's words to the Athenians about the unknown God. This is who he wants them to know. Let's read together. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and we move and have our being As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Do you hear that phrase that we just uh, we just read? God did this. God did this so that men and women would seek him and perhaps Reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Purpose statement there. These truths that we read about God lead up to that purpose statement of, here's why God did this. So that those whom he has created would reach out to him. Kind of a a summary statement that follows. Now remember, we want to... We want to know more about this, this God who's with us. God with us. Big God, little us. So we're going to move through these uh, fairly quickly this morning. Uh, Just a few minutes for for each one. Um, Hopefully, as I said a moment ago, a primer for us uh, to launch us into 
what I hope can be 12 days of just considering these statements together as, as God's people. And maybe they'll come up in conversations that we have together, either face-to-face or in phone calls. I think, there is, uh, I think there's great blessing in, in, in studying and meditating on text privately together, if you will. Individually, yet collectively. Okay. Statement number one that Paul made to the Athenians, God made the world and everything in it. Now, your discussion question that I want you to just turn to a neighbor nearby or a couple of neighbors, I want you to ask this question, what does this teach and imply about God? Okay? God made the world and everything in it. Turn to someone and ask them, what does this teach and imply about God? Go ahead. Ask a neighbor or two. Okay, is that enough time? Enough time to just discuss briefly. What what does this teach us about God? What does this imply? About God may not be explicitly stated there, but but we draw it out of the the words that are there. What'd you find? What'd your neighbor say? You can always blame it on your neighbor. We. An eternal God that has always existed before the creation of the universe and bigger than the universe. That's what Jill said. That's what Kate said. Okay. Yeah, does that, that's familiar truth, right? We know that God's a creator. Whoop-de-doo. It's a big universe. Scientists tell us that it's, it's expanding all the time. They, I mean, just go online or go to any, any uh, more recent textbook and, and you will find that, that, that there is an estimate that, that the galaxies are numbering in the millions these days. Expanding universe. What does that tell us about God? You were going to make a comment. There's something about God in everything. Yes. Do you know there are more than 30,000 different trees in the world? Why is that? They all do pretty much the same thing. What does that imply about God? Oh, thank you. Yes. God loves variety. Wow. You know, where, where do we get our love of variety and, and diversity, creativity? Where does that come from? <laughs> Guess what? That's our creator. Isn't that amazing? Rick. Male and female. Boy. There are some folks that would rather you not say it that way, Eric. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Male and female. The image of God. Wow. Wow. What else? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the idea of, of the diversity of all the, the different uh, elements and, and activities and, and expressions of humanity that we see in, in all the world. It, you know, because we can't all do 
the same things. Uh, there must be different gods for different roles. No. Paul says it's, it's all from him. All started with him. How remarkable. So, how does, how does this, this teaching about the, the hugest of God, the, the, the diversity, the variety of, of, of God that is part of his personality, how does that impact us on a daily basis? I think if we are, just for example, if we're willing to take time to consider, say, the beauty and the variety that, that makes up creation, some people have said, take time to smell the roses. There are a lot of different kinds of roses out there. You know, there is something about God as creator that is, is fundamental. We've talked about this before. God reveals himself in the earliest pages of scripture as creator. And how much time do we spend in awe and wonder of his creation? I'm up typically earlier than the other members of my household, so very few of them see this on a regular basis. But some of you can relate. We have some stunning sunrises here in Colorado. And I thought as I was preparing this this week, I thought, you know, there have been numbers of times when, when I'm just sort of ho-hum about the sunrise. And now it comes right through my kitchen window. And I can see the sky in brilliant oranges and pinks. And I turn away and I go get my coffee and I go do something else. There's something wrong with that. There ought to be in each one of us that sense of, whoa, whoa, awesome. The artist of the universe has painted that. I used to say to Kelsey and Cameron when I would take them to school, and uh, grade school, every morning, I think I've told some of you this, we, you know, right just as we're dropping down the hill that comes out of our neighborhood to go down towards uh, 72nd, uh, you can see some of the mid-range peaks. I would say to them every morning, oh, look, you guys, look, the mountains. There are people who pay money to come and see these things. And we live here. Yeah, yeah, Dad, we know. You say that every morning. You know, I need my kids to be with me in the car again because one of the things that I swore would never happen is when I moved here, I'd never take those mountains for granted. Guess what? Can you relate? There is a loud witness to the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of God right outside these windows. Are we looking? Are we listening? Are we wondering? Are we just standing around with our mouths hanging open? Who else could do that? You know, <laughs> we get into arguments, theological arguments about old earth and young earth, six-day creation or something else. i got to tell you, there's moments when I think to myself, who in the world cares? I know the one who did it. I may not understand how he did it, but I'm not sure that's terribly important. What I affirm is that he did it. And it's awesome. And he is creator. Big picture. Big God. Okay. There's another statement that, that Paul makes here in uh, Acts 17. 
talks about this God who made the world and everything in it is also the Lord of heaven and earth. That's our second statement. I want you to, to talk about that for just a moment with the neighbor. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. So again, ask a neighbor, what does this teach us about God? What does this imply about God? Go ahead. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Okay. Going to speed us along here. I'm mindful of that clock. It stares at me every Sunday morning. What do you think? He's the Lord of heaven and earth. What does this teach us about God? What does it imply about God? Go ahead. Somebody just start us off. Shout it out. He's in charge. I am not. <laughs> Isn't that just humbling? He is in charge. But in your house. <laughs> All right. He is in charge. And I am not. I got news for you. You're not in charge. You know, spend your time and your energies thinking you are. You're not. What else? What else? Yeah. It's good. It's good, Cindy. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. Do you hear that? Every breath. He is sustaining. You know, I think it's Colossians 1. Paul says, in him, everything holds together. Were God to turn his back on his creation, creation is gone. It is his presence that holds it together. Yeah. Anything else? Jim? If he is an authority that we creatures have, Ooh. There's that nasty word. Accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Accountability. What else? I mean. I think it also implies, though, an incredible tantrum. Okay, good. <laughs> Say a little bit more about the now and the not yet. What were you thinking specifically? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Or certainly there are a whole lot of people who aren't recognizing that and living that way. Yes. Yes. Good. Excellent. It does. Excellent. Well spoken. And, and, and because he is who he is, and because we know him to be a God who keeps his word, he makes promises about the fulfillment of the age. Yes, there is that sense in which we live expectantly, Rick. That's implied. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and doesn't it make sense to you that those who know God, those who have come into relationship, and how often do we talk at Applewood about being the children of God because of what Jesus has done for us? Nobody should know better and live it out more clearly than his kids. You know, those who don't know him, at least from our human perspective, have an excuse. Those who know him are without excuse. 
We need to live, my friends, on a daily basis as if he really is the Lord. That, that the promises that he has made, even though we live in the midst of, of a fallen and hurting world, there is promise of restoration. There is a future. And oh, by the way, Lord in that first century meant owner. That's an important piece of this. He is the Lord of everything. And as we often say, unfortunately, everything means everything. So that means that, that everything that, that I hold tightly to, it's his. And as his child, I should know that. Everything that my neighbor who's not his child holds tightly to, well, that's the Lord's too, but my neighbor doesn't know that. I do. Therefore, my life should look different because I'm aware that the one who is my God is also my Lord. Do we go through life with our fists clenched tightly, clinging to the stuff that's important to us, stuff and relationships? Or do we go through life with our hands open, recognizing that the Lord can take what he wants because he's the owner. But the other thing is that when our hands are open, he can put things back in them. That's the posture. God's people, that, that ought to be how this truth begins to impact the thinking of our daily lives. Okay, got to hurry. Statement number three. Remember, there's lots more in here. Live with these over the next 11 days. Statement number three. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Made all the nations. Marked out the appointed times of all the people. Where they live. In all the earth. What does this teach us about God? And what does it imply about God? Go ahead, ask your neighbor real quickly. Okay. I hate to cut off the discussion. Unless, of course, it's turned to the Bronco game, in which case we'll cut it off. Okay, what, what, what does it teach us? What does it teach us and what does it imply? That, that God has, has created all the people, all the nations, appointed their times, the boundaries of their lands. What, what do you hear there? There's a plan. Big plan. Yeah, good. Thanks, Ellen. I like that. What else? Anyone? Okay. Okay, we can take it two ways. One, there's a whole plan for the earth. Go ahead. Prophetic for us. God has a great plan and, and we are blessed. We have the honor of being a part of that plan because we're a part of that group that Paul has just described. Good. Good insight. Yes. Absolutely. Good, good, good. Yeah, we have a specific place and call 
in that place. Responsibility in that place. Now, let me ask you. We, I know we believe this, but, but do, we, do we really live as if God has indeed orchestrated the events of our lives, has set the times and the boundaries and places? Do we, do we really live that way or do we live more like religious agnostics? And what I mean by that is when things are good, yes, God is in control. When things are bad, God is on a coffee break. We can't ever read the scriptures and come to that conclusion. And, and of course, we, we always line up. It's our, it's our hope. We line up the difficult and challenging things with the greater revelation of scripture that, that God is a God of love. And there is, there is purpose. And there is plan. Even in the hard stuff of our lives. Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. God in his hugeness with us. Every moment of every day. Yes, Mark. Tell me. Yes. Okay. 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 Yeah, I think I think that's legit. But Mark, we have to be honest too that there are times when I'm I'm just I'm just being faithful on a day to day basis because because God is just not showing me the details right now. Let me tell you a story that just blessed my socks off. I've got a dear friend who is just suffering desperately right now from, from disease. And we were talking a couple of weeks ago. And he said to me, he said, you know, it had been a bad day. He said, today was a tough day. He said, today was one of those days when I wonder, God, where are you? And then he went on to say this. He said, but God knows me well enough. That in these days when he allows himself to seem distant from me, it reminds me of how desperately dependent I am upon him for all of eternity. And then I realize how the distance that I may feel for a few hours in this day is nothing in comparison to the distance that some will feel from God's presence for all of eternity. And I just went, wow. Wow. The knowledge of who God is and trusting in His presence now, and sometimes that seems kind of gray and challenging, but the grounding of that truth for all of eternity is for this friend. An incredible blessing. Uh, A place that he returns to and clings to in his life. So my brothers and sisters, praise team, you better come up. We need to close this morning. Wow. Emmanuel. God 
with us. Big God with little us. What do you think? Are you up for the challenge? Twelve days. Let's just live and read and pray and meditate together on these truths of God in Acts 17.